everyone, welcome to the Destination Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal or extreme metal. How are we all doing? How are we all doing in whatever day of the uh, lockdown we're on? I lost track quite a while ago. It must be about a month by now. Who fucking knows? I am doing well. I have found out the fine art of making food or baking without milk. Spoilers, don't fucking do it. You will end up with... I made, I made pancakes that were essentially an egg, flour and water. Whole, meat, whole wheat flour as well because everyone's took all the white flour. They tasted fucking disgusting. So don't fucking bake when you don't have milk or don't make pancakes without milk water pancakes the fucking worst um and yeah i have also the unfortunate distinction of being a massive wrestling fan and yesterday as of day recording the wrestling world decided to just absolutely shit itself um it's already been quite icky being a wrestling fan anyways because the two major companies in the world actually AEW and WWE have continued to have empty venue shows um, in various different parts of the country. I think WWE have predominantly emanated from their training center in Tampa and AEW. I think at the MCM Grand, but I don't know where that is. I want to say Chicago, but I don't think that's right. Um, Either way, they've been continuing to do shows, which has not been great considering... Everyone else is shut down. Somehow they are a law unto themselves. There are now rumours of some shady business practices between WWE and the United States government, which makes them exempt from having to shut their doors, which again, icky as shit. And yeah, yesterday in the middle of um, this lockdown, independent wrestling companies have had to shut down for a while. Independent everything has had to shut down for a while. WWE decided to um, release 20 on-screen characters along with a bunch of back t- backstage um, like producers and basically the kind of people who keep the show running. They also got rid of a bunch of development developmental talent as well, so people trying to hone the craft and learn how to be WWE superstar decided to get rid of a bunch of them as well. And the rumours are up to, a hundred, up to into the hundreds of people are going to get released across the board. And it's all going to save, it's all going to go towards saving them $4 million in profit. Which, you know, these sort of day and age, $4 million are still quite a lot of money. Um, It's what they paid one guy for two appearances. Which, yep. Um, But still you think $4 million is a huge saving in these trying times. And every corporation has to do it. It's also been reported that WWE have half a billion dollars in cash reserves, in savings, basically. Um, So, yeah. Very, very icky being a wrestling fan at the moment. And then 10 minutes before I press record, found out that a very prominent voice of wrestling from the 80s all the way up until about 10 years ago, um, Howard Finkel, has passed away as well. So, being a wrestling fan... Really fucking sucks at the moment. Um, and condolences to the Finks family. He was a very, very good um, announcer and presence in wrestling. And yeah, everything fucking sucks more than usual. So when I said I'm doing great, apparently I'm not. But let's move, move along as best we can. Um, let's not talk about terrible, terrible corporations um let's talk about some music instead this week gonna be reviewing albums from uh lizzie farrell moria and irist i probably should have given a little bit of background to each of those artists because i don't think any of them any of them are particularly big and known but just means you're gonna have to keep paying attention to find out what comes next we will start though with a more familiar name we're gonna start with four years strong and i can't believe it but their seventh Studio album, that doesn't feel right to say. Oh well, because I've, I've grown up with Foy Strong being quite prominent in my general music bubble. I know a lot of people who are really, really into Foy Strong. Um, 
Yeah, it's their seventh studio album from the Worcester, Massachusetts act. Um, it's called Brain Pain, and it's their return after five years after 2015's self-titled album. Uh, some quick maths. I've always found Four Year Strong to be a bit of a bit of a greatest hits band. I've never really gone in on an album. I've never really gone in on that back catalogue. Um, I, f- I feel like they are kind of unfairly put in with the easy core bracket of music. To me, when I think of easy core, I think of more of a metalcore style of music combined with pop punk. So your chunk, no Captain Chunks, your day to remembers, that kind of ilk. Whereas I feel For You Strong, I'm much more of like a melodic hardcore um, pop punk style of outfit, which it's just me being pedantic on genres, which I am known to do. But yeah, crazy sort of band. Songs like Stuck in the Middle, Tonight We Feel Alive, um, It Must Really Suck to Be For You Strong Right Now. Those sort of songs, basically the singles. Um, and yeah, just really gone to For You Strong, so I thought it was going to be a great time to really get into him. From the... From what I know of Four Year Strong and from what I've experienced from um, the limited knowledge of the back college that I do have, I feel like this is a it's more of just like a classic iteration of what Four Year Strong have been known to do. It's massive, massive riffs on um, very lighthearted pop uh, punk, really, really entertaining sort of stuff. The just the opening riff, the opening riff, the entire album on it's cool. It's just really actually so chunky is what it is as all the kids are saying it's just a really chunky riff um i'll get into a little bit more of the production in a little bit but the open riff on it's cool it's just absolute filth um for the most part it stays in that bubble that um for you strong have curated um get out of my head it's just a fucking cracking song the second um track on the album uh, the melodies in Learn to Live the Light and Mouthful of Dirt, just really, really super tasty. And yeah, like I said, some of the riffs just carry that extra crunch that even more so from what I know of their back catalog, of those like um, greatest hit songs that I've said. And I don't know if that's just a change in tone. I don't know if they're using an extra string on their guitars. It would be very unusual if they did because I don't really know of seven string guitars being used in hardcore that much. Not in like this start this side of hardcore um it might have something to do with the fact that it's produced by will putney it's probably due to the fact that the album's produced by will putney because he's a very very good producer and yeah just listen to like the title track songs like it's cool um the worst part of me just the overall like guitar sound that the band emanate now it's just like for me it's a different level to what they've done before it's so much more of that crunch it's so much more Excuse me, just something more behind it this time, as opposed to what I've heard in the past. And although, excuse me, I had a on the early trying to kill me. Although I said that it is very much a classic for what I know. Um, four year strong stat. Four year strong sound. Apparently, that's really difficult to say. Um, it does have moments where it sort of experiments and deviates around a little bit. There's just moments of this album of just massive massive pop influence and i don't know if it's something that four year strong have really done before i don't know if it's something that they have um experimented with and tried to do on like the odd one or two songs on previous albums and that came before but take a song like 17 it is a sickly sweet i don't even go as far as saying pop rock song i was comparing it to one direction in my head the massive pop hooks it's just very very light-hearted easy going guitar tones for um both guitarists on the song it was although before you strong have got this like massive pop punk influence in them this felt like such a such a difference to like the broader feeling of the album and like the album sound so kind of caught me off guard it's a super poppy song but then you get to be good when I'm gone. That's an electro pop ballad. That really doesn't feel like it fits. Um, or it's just very like jarring to hear it in amongst everything else. You've got um, really light guitars. You've got violins on there. You've got like um, bits of synth in there. I 
personally thought the song was absolute cack. Um, I was comparing it to like the ballads that Simple Plan do. And they're not good at all. I just felt like, yeah, it was just, it was just shit. I just really, really did enjoy it. It wasn't for me at all. It strayed too far into the world of like pop and pop rock. I feel like every mainstream pop musician has written a song like, um, I've lost what it's called. Be good when I'm gone. There we go. And yeah, just really, really didn't do it for me. And like I said, I don't know if it's something that um, For Your Strong Unknown to do to have like instead of a, an acoustic ballad, they go for this like really intense pop song. And they try to make like a middle ground at Young, Young at Heart, which is the album closer. Um, to me, I feel like it sits closer to that pop world that they tried on uh, Be Good When I'm Gone. I described it as it's basically pop music, but with breakdowns. And I compared it to Ammo era, Bring the Horizon, where they were using, obviously, everyone knows Ammo by now. Basically just pop music, but with a little bit of guitars in there. Again, I wasn't a fan of this. I found it was, it had like a poppy sort of syndrome to it. And not the genre, like literally poppy with her album, I Disagree from earlier this year. Where you had some songs in the album that did the mix of like bubblegum pop and J-pop with heavy metal. And they fused them together quite well. There were a lot of times where it was, this is the pop part, this is the heavy part, this is the pop part, this is the heavy part. And I find Young at Heart does that as well. Like, this is the punk part, this is the punk, this is the punk part, this is the pop part. Punk, pop, punk, pop. And yeah, it's very stop-start. Again, I don't think it worked very well. It was... Not for me. Again, I feel like 17 is the best out of this bunch. Um, it does need some lyrical improvements, though. I feel, again, it's very, very cliche to write a song about wanting to be 17 again and have, like, all the friends and seeing getting the girl and that sort of thing. I feel like it's very... You can get away with that sort of thing on, like, the first or second album, but seven albums in and many, many years, I just thought it was a bit too twee. The musical idea behind it, I could get behind. I feel like done well. I... It could be something that for you strong do quite well. So I think like the um, the dueling vocalist, try again. The dueling vocalist could do something really really well in that um, ultra pop punk kind of world. You know, Blink One Eight Two did it really well. Um, has anyone else? The only other example I can think of is We Are the In Crowd, and they did not do very well at all. I keep hitting everything. Let's sit back a little bit. There we go. Um, no, I can't sit there because that's where the album art goes in the video. Fuck. Yeah. I just didn't think those forays into pop work quite well, worked well at all. In terms of like production job, again, Will Putney is just fucking class. But actual execution and actual songs, I thought they were pretty trash. But that's three songs on the album. You've got another ten that are this like ultra hardcore. Well, not ultra hardcore, sorry. Ultra melodic hardcore style of music which it works well the sun's coming out over the past week or so so listen to this kind of music in the sun is it's just what it's made for it fits that role so perfectly and yeah if we're ever that outside again perfect summer listening and yeah if you just want outside of those three songs if you want good consistent um pop punk with a really really good guitar tone and just great guitar work in general trial and trusted i like one thing i did notice about four year strong over the years is that me saying and i don't know if other critics i'm not, I'm not a critic i don't know if other people have picked up on those three songs and that those like four rays into pop as much as i have but the one thing i do enjoy about four year strong is if everyone said they're too pop or they're not very good because it's pop they wouldn't give a shit. They have... For Your Strong like to keep their... Like to stick to the laurels? Is that the expression? Or stick to their guns about what they want to do? Because at the end of the day, as much as we want to say, like, we like your band, we hate your band, we like this, we like that. It is their band. This is the product of those um, four guys. So you can say, like, 
I don't like this, but then they've got a history of doing things that they want to do to see if it works or see if it doesn't work or just because they want to. They made that covers album a few years ago. They made um, that covers, I don't know if it was cover, covers, not fucking covers, acoustic EP or acoustic album, but the fact they even titled it something along the lines of you will hate this or some of you will hate this, it shows that they are willing to like push the boat out and they are aware that it's not going to be for everyone's taste, but at the end of the day, this is this is their child, this is their baby that they're all collectively bringing up. And if nothing else, I think that's very, very admirable from them to want to stick to their guns for any project. Like, you look at Suicide Silence, they had one album of trying to think for themselves. Everyone hated it, or most people hated it, and then they went back to doing what other people wanted. Four Year Strong probably will, if they haven't already, they will probably do more songs like 17, Be Good When I'm Going, Young Heart, for the next album, or for, like, an EP, or some way to get out of the system. And, yeah, fair, fuck, fair fucking play to them. Why the fuck not? It's... Again, it's their band, they can do what they want. I'm just a man alone in the house. Commenting on it with a squeaky ass chair. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, outside of those songs, if you just like big riff pop punk um, and want to really relive your youth, because I know Forty Strong been going for fucking ages. I can't believe it's seven albums in. That's madness. Um, Give us a go. Brain Pain is the name of the album. It's by Four Year Strong. Y'all know Four Year Strong by now, even if you don't listen to them like I did. Um, and yeah, perfect with the sun's coming out. Even if I know you, people can't go outside at the moment, just like sitting in the garden, sitting with the window open and just chilling out next to the window, which is so sad to say out, out loud. Oh my God. But make the best out of this bad situation. When are your go government mandated walks? Put this on. We're going to move to something completely different now. And I spat all over my computer. I'm just such a terrible human being. Um, we're going to go to Toulouse in France now for Moria. Um, you know, because we're in France and we're not in England, or not an English-speaking country, I'm going to butcher some fucking names. So, yeah, apologies in advance for that. Band called Moria. The album is called Animal Bouffe Animal. They are a French black metal band. This is their debut album. It is a spiritual successor to a one-man project called Veramine. Um, again, black metal project. It was led by Olivier Lolmead. And he's the man front and centre of the new band Moria, but this time he's franked by members of Toucan, Selenites and Drawers. Three acts I know nothing about and never heard of. The only one I could find information on, I think, was drawers and they are a french sludge stoner metal um french sl stoner sludge metal band fuck um which olivier is also a part of so you know he's bringing in um friends bringing in bandmates from other projects he's been part of uh for this new uh black metal thing he wants to do and it's a very modern black metal album and so it's going to alienate those fans of like the old school. And it's much more like a, a me kind of black metal. Because the um, production, which I'll get to more in a second, so fucking good. Um, it has all the characteristics of classic black metal. And when I wrote that line last night from my notes, I realised that there are two... or well, the other day, whenever. There are two branches of like old school trad heavy metal. You've got um, black metal, sorry. You've got the stuff that came from... Like that speed black metal in between of um, Slayer and Venom bands like that. And then you've got the more like haunting, very almost atmospheric, not quite atmospheric black metal, but more like a, maybe like an ambient inspired black metal for like um, Mayhem. It's more closer to that. It's more closer to like a Mayhem inspired black metal. You've got, although I would never consider this an atmospheric black metal project, I've never considered this post metal or anything like that you do have parts in it where it's a lot more drawn out. You've got a little bit of ambience behind it as well. But like I said, this is very much a black metal kind of record. The production, as I alluded to earlier, it's just fucking on. It's so good. Really, really good. Really adds to the emotion that you get from the album. Really adds to the general ambiance of the album. It's produced by Omori Solve and mastered by Thibault Chamon. Chamon? I'm really not good with names, guys. Uh, between them, they have worked... Well, individually, sorry, and between... Uh, 
across the two of them, they have worked for bands like Birds in Row, Eagle, Clone, Necromancer, and Plebeian Grandstand. Of those acts, I'm only really familiar with uh, Birds in Row and Eagle, and I know for a fact they have some brilliant production on, both, on their albums, so we are dealing with a pretty good pairing um, in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, so like I said, it's much more of like a modern black metal production sort of thing, and it's a kind of black metal that I enjoy. I don't like that raw stuff, that only true cult. I'll do it that side because Almar's going to be there. It's only um, it's might alienate the true cult black metal kind of people, but they're boring. I find that vocalist Olivier has a pretty break vocal range in my notes. I'm pretty sure I meant to say great vocal range in my notes. It sits somewhere between Nicholas Kvarforth from Shining and Danny Filth of Craig Filth. He has this incredible emotional range, which I, that's where I got the comparisons to Kvarforth. Um, he can sing a note, he can sing a passing and hold a note, and it just feels so disparaging. It feels so pained. I can't remember who I compared it with um, a week or so ago, but the feeling of singing whilst lifting something really heavy. And this goes beyond it. This feels like, sounds like he's singing whilst like his fingers are bending further backwards or, you know, his foot's bending the wrong way or some other weird pain that you go through. And then he can hit like that sort of shrieking, like the classic black metal shriek. Not quite to the heights of Danny, but like that sort of inflection where he can go from holding out and then something just like of um, just raw, shrill, I guess, um, for lack of a better term. And yeah, just that trembling and anger, pain with those sort of um, shrieking style vocals. It's just the overall a massively bleakly emotive album. Uh, the second half of Torn Universe, Mental Mepui, or track two to everyone else, um, second half of that song, it slows down quite a bit without being um, any sort of post-genre. Um, so dark and so, like, you feel the despair coming through in the music. That interlude track on La Guille Over, I feel like I've done all right with that one, actually. Um, it's a three-minute, three, yeah, three-minute song span on. It's a sar sark, sad, dark ambient song. Um, that really combines down really well. It doesn't feel like it's out of place. And yeah, it just acts as a really good transition track from the first half of the album to the second half of the album. Um, does a, does the job of an interlude track very, very well. And you get like symphonic elements that like bolster the album as well without taking away that negativity. I find that when I listen to a lot of symphonic music, it's hard to feel sad. You can feel emotion. You can feel emotional listening to the um, symphonic music. The whole point of excuse me, classical and orchestral music is that you feel something and they can portray music to make you feel sad. And like, you listen to, watch any film, you've got like that sad violin in the background and then you want to cry. Um, whereas, like with um, metal, when it's using heavy metal, and it's had a fucking brain fart then, when it's using heavy metal, I find it's very hard to make it all the way to feeling sad. This does those like very flamboyant symphonic parts without taking negativity away and it does add to that negativity that you get in like film and you get in like classic um, orchestral music the song I highlighted for it was Parole, Parole de Hain I don't think I've got that right at all um, it's a really powerful like the more black metal of the rest of the album more of that in the opening but then very quickly the symphonics come in and it becomes this big grandiose deeply sad uh song on the album and that's where I feel like more of the black of the Cradle of Filth influence comes in and yeah the symphonic elements as well add to the drama of the title track which ends the album I thought this was a really really good uh, kind of album conversely to um, For Your Strong it was a little bit difficult to really take in because it has been sunny and this sort of album you want to listen to when it's like raining or even snowing um I felt like production really helps listening to it in this kind of climate and this kind of environment. Um, although I have no idea what it's saying because it's 
it's the style of vocal. Also, I'm pretty sure he's singing in French. You do have this like overbearing sadness. Listen to it, and yeah, I just thought as a as black metal goes, I don't often get the emotional range. I think black metal always wants to listen to have. I think this is like one of the first ones I can say where I've listened to it I'm like, man, this it is just fucking sad. This. Um, not in like the relatable kind of sad that I get with emo, but just like, I don't know why, but I feel unhappy listening to this. And maybe that's just more of like a commentary on my mental state, having been alone for a month, but who knows? If you were into black metal, I'd give this a go, purely because like, I, I don't get the old school raw black metal stuff. I, no, I can understand why it was popular back in the day and why it's made like that, but man, if you like the musical stylings of OG black males, particularly, like I said, the like mayhem side of things, fucking go for this because it's everything like that, but you can hear each intricacy that um, Olivier and the rest of the band are making. So, yeah. If you are a fan of um, black metal, if you like black metal with a really good production job, uh, go for Moria. It's, it's spelled M-O-U-R-I-R. Um... And the album's called Animal Booth for Animal. And yeah, get some get some cult music in your life. Cult spelled with a K and a V. Moving on. Where's he gone? There you are. Moving on then to uh, a, an exciting heavy metal prospect, as it's been advertised to me. We're looking at Irist and their debut album, Order of the Mind. Um, Iris emanate out of Atlanta, Georgia, but their members um, originally came from various parts of South America, including Argentina, Chile, and Brazil. And reading that, reading that they have, like a, they are labeled many things. Um, most notably, that I kept um, that kept popping up to me was groove metal and modern metal. And when I see groove metal, I see the fact that they uh, members of the band come from like Brazil, Chile. Uh, Argentina, I thought this was going to be a very Sepultura, very Soulfly inspired album. Uh, it's very much not that. It's in fact a very Gajira inspired album. It's It wears its Gajira influence on Steve the same way Loathe did um, when I reviewed that album a couple weeks ago. And they have the all those comparisons to Deftones while still remaining quite an individual sound. I find that this is doing that. I find that although you can, as soon as you turn it on, you can easily identify the Gujira influences, they are still making it their own. They're not just Gujira 2.0. Um, I find, if I'm, if I'm going to compare them, I think Loath did a better job of like individualizing, if that's a word, um, against or like separating themselves. That's probably a better word. Separate themselves from Deftones compared to Iris and Gajira, but you know it's not a competition. I think Loathe was that was their second album. I think so. The second attempt at um, getting that um, mixed together. Uh, the album, the, the all of the mind. Fucking hell, I can't talk. All of the mind does carry a lot of the same influence from Gajira, as I say. Um, you've got the big galloping riffs. You've got the searing melodies, which I think, to a point, are inspired from like a post-rock, post-metal kind of world. Um, it never lets the pace drop off. It's always like quite an upbeat kind of tempo album, but you still got this like big soaring parts that add to the drama of the album, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, Rodrigo Cucavato. Fucking hell, Rodrigo. Rodrigo Carvalho. Eventually, I think I did an okay job with that. He's a lead vocalist. I feel like he's got a really interesting vocal style. It is growling. It is heavy. It is... Um, it's very much not clean. But it's not Cookie Monster vocals at all. And you can hear the inflection. And you can hear, like, the parts of the world... Parts of the words as he's singing. I feel like with even, like, semi-decent headphones... You can pick out... You can point out... Or you, yeah, yeah. You can pick out lyrics, you can pick out words, you can pick out um, eventually like verses and chorus without the need of like lyric sheets per se. I know like I've been listening to heavy metal for years and even now I still struggle to like identify words in extreme music but I feel like he 
was it suffocation when the first man to do that to like really like open up his mouth as he sang to really like although he's a heavy vocalist you can still identify what he's saying as he sings and yeah i just thought like it was really interesting he's also got i have found myself comparing the vocals a little bit a little bit to fear factory um parts of it he goes like to a clean more like droning kind of um vocal style He's a much better singer than Burton C. Bell. I'm sorry, Bert. Um, but Rodrigo's got the one up on you. So, parts of like, uh, Fear Factory, I also found like the title track from Magma by Gujira and... Was it Lost Land? That's, that's wrong. I already know that's wrong. Lost Head, something like that. One of the, A few of the songs on Magma have got that like low droning kind of voice as well. Um, from Joe Duplantier. And Rodrigo does that as well. I feel like um, Rodrigo does it very, very well. And yeah, just adds to the makeup of the album. Continues that like sort of like post-metal, like drone to parts of the record. And yeah, this thing like does a really good job. The album does not go as heavy as Gajira. To me personally, I feel like... I found myself listening to, like, on one of these songs, tradition from, like, or transition, sorry, from, like, the verse to the chorus or just, like, the interlude bit or whatever. I was getting comparisons in my head to The Defiled. Very, very much loved, much missed industrial groove metalcore act from Five years ago, oh, that's sad. No, more than that. Nearly ten years ago. Fuck me. I miss those wild. But like the chord progressions and like um, the melodies they had in between, or like, the hooks they had in between um, parts of the song, remind me a lot of that. And the fact that people are comparing this to like a modern metal sound um, fits that. Because I know the file had that back in the day as well. And that modern metal label that Iris is getting lumped with. I completely understand what that means, but at the same time, I don't know what that means. Because if if someone says this, listen to this album. It's a modern metal album. I have a general idea what that's going to mean, but at the same time, I couldn't. If I had to define the genre, I couldn't be accurate. Like I feel like it has a lot of the. Like metalcore melodies without being metalcore at all. And it has the the mirroring of the bass drum to the riff, the main guitar riff, but it's not new metal, it's not groove metal. Um vocalists can switch between being harsh vocalists and clean vocalists. I don't and you've got like a a very slight synth part in the background but I would never say it's like symphonic or anything like that I just feel like it's part of the production it's a really hard thing to grasp but I kind of feel like people know what a modern modern metal sound is and yeah I think Iris do fall under that to a certain extent it's very dramatic kind of metal I still feel like it's got more in common with like a groove or a kind of sound a very like thrashy like thrash metal groove metal sort of thing so your Yukajiras your Triviums your Machine Heads that kind of ilk and a lot of people are saying that this is they are like a future metal prospect this is um and it's quite refreshing actually because you see you hear so many like old fucks coming through and saying like heavy metal is dead rock music's dead and it's fucking not true at all um they're just old insignificant and in the way and it's so nice to have a band come through and to have damn near universal praise that says that these are going to be the next big thing. This is what music is going to sound like for the next five, ten years. It's refreshing to hear that. But based on this album, I don't think that's they're, they're quite there yet. I feel like there's still parts of the sound that they are... Um, like The overall makeup of the sound is kind of missing a few bits. I I found this to be more of a moments kind of album. Like I really like um, Burning Sage, I really like Creation, Order of the Mind, the title track, um, and the end the nerve. The nerve is a really big it really goes into those like post groove metal kind of things. It's like a big ambient but still incredibly heavy kind of song. 
I feel like the next album is going to be a case of I'm going to listen to it and think this is like a good run of songs, like three songs fucking slam, or like this one song is perfect from start to finish. And then I feel like third album is going to be the case where it's going to, it's it's going to be what Loath did. It's going to be the so- the album where everyone comes in and says, "Holy shit, this is everything they'll be able to be." Um, if they get it in the second album, I'm not going to be upset. I might look like a bit of a div, but I don't feel like this is their best album. I feel like there's so much more to come from Iris. I feel like, yeah, future is very promising for them. I future is very very promising for them. I just don't think they are at that point on this album. I really enjoyed the guitar work from Adam Mitchell and Pablo Davila. Davila. Um, I really enjoy the like really searing moments that have like post rock influence, and I'm really really excited to find out what comes next to them. I just don't think they're at that point just yet, and that's my, and this whole this whole podcast is like a personal thing. But yeah, I just don't I I believe that I think there's going to be more from them in the future, but that doesn't mean do not go listen to it now. It's still. I do think that this is a very future-based style of music, um, and it is how the metal world is going. A very, con- I don't want to say contemporary in the same way that it's going to be very ma- mainstream, but it's going to be the heavy metal version of mainstream. I feel like this is going to be very festival-heavy. This is going to be very... Um, it's going to be... I'm not talking like a couple of years. I'm talking way off in the distance, but this is going to be arena kind of music. Um but that's my personal opinion. It's called Irist. I-R-I-S-T. The album's called All the Mind. Emanating out of Atlanta, Georgia, but with members from all over South America, to say. Um, very exciting stuff. Very intriguing stuff. And yeah, do go give it a bash. Now, next up is an album that I have substituted in, in way of Vasa, a Scottish instrumental uh, math rock act but my puny little brain needs a little bit more time to wrap my head around math rock and instrumental rock at that because it means i can't hook on to some lyrics so hopefully that's going to come out next week instead i have substituted with an album that exists a little bit outside the scope of what i usually do um but this is my show and i'm gonna do what i like it is the debut album from a young lad young the young laddie young lassie or young lady whatever you prefer Called Lizzie Farrell. She is, uh, she emanates out of Chester. She is an indie artist. Um, there's a reason why I'm not labeling her indie pop or indie rock because she sits somewhere between the two. She um, just limbos between, just, she's got moments where it's like very rock guitar based music and she's got times where it goes the opposite way where it's very, very mainstream pop sort of stuff. We'll get to all that, don't you worry. Um, but overall, no matter what she does, if it's like, um, pop or rock or whatever she just puts a very dark emo it's sometimes emo i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna fucking say it a very dark emo influence into that indie bubble um and oftentimes it's is the reason why i throw indian there is because yeah see lyrical content can be quite dark and depressing we will get to that in a bit but it's often over the top of like really jaunty songs like you take games for example and Another song we'll, I'll get into more, like the lyrical content for it, is, but it's a very upbeat, happy sounding song. But when you take apart the lyrics, it's all about like wanting to, it's a, bit, a shitty relationship. And I think wanting to get stabbed in Liverpool. I might be completely off, but I'm going to explain why I think that in just a little while. But first, how I got there. So I found out about Lizzie. It must have been a band camp. Um, deep dive, that's what I'm looking for. Um, and I found the song Barbados. It was the lead single from the EP coming out the same name. It was fucking good. I love that song. Um, really, really catchy uh, chorus. Had that like almost like goth rock new wave sort of influence in indie. The rest of the EP, the rest of the EP eventually came out, and I fell in love with it. I think it was my album, my EP. I, number two in EPs of the year last year, um, only beaten out by Blood Command. I think, definitely top five. Um, I thought she, it was absolutely brilliant. I really, really liked that EP. Really, really was looking forward to the album, which became Bruise, and very excited when it came out. I was quite gutted when I tried to pre-order the physical release and found that they had sold out. 
feels bad, man, but here we are. Still get to listen to the album. Um, overall, musically, there are, I hear bits of India said before, there's lots of pop in there, there's synth wave, there's shoegaze, there's new wave, lots of Ave kind of sounds we didn't realize before. Open the album up and you get um, Addict, and that's a massive, like, AE's synthy new wave kind of song. It's fucking great. Um, but overall, all I do is just back out, back up Lizzie's incredible vocals. I, the one biggest thing I fell in love with with her style of music was her vocals. Um, she can hit this like really deep, powerful notes. Like you listen to Gaslighting and Not for Six, and they're the kind of notes that when you try to sing along. I tried to figure out a way to describe this last night. I could not fucking do it. I'm not going to sound like a crazy person. But when you sing along, you can feel your throat open up to try and get more air out to really hit those like really, really low notes. And she just fucking does them seemingly with absolute ease. She can bounce that by going to like the really twinkly um, high-end pop notes like in Night Rider and Love No More. But the kind of notes that I really, really enjoy, I just do only way to describe them this big belting notes um i try to find a contemporary but my knowledge of female singer-songwriters is very very minuscule so really sorry i can't find like a comparison for her but just listen to songs like addict games barbados where she can hit like really dynamic notes and yeah i think as a vocalist she's fucking amazing lyrically this album covers it's a very like modern album lyrically it covers things like um relationships depression social anxieties i found I found like myself relating to a lot of the lyrics. I don't like relating to lyrics because I, I don't like people getting into my psyche, which I think has more of a commentary about my own brain than anything else. But I don't like people thinking that I lived with two psychologists, two psychologists, um, masters. And I was always scared of saying anything in case I like construed it, that I was like a Freudian wife beater or something. Um, but there's lyrics in this album where you do kind of feel it is very relatable. Uh, was it... I think it was Knocked for Six where it opens with wanting to... wanting to be alone but not wanting to feel lonely. Um, which I live alone and we're in the middle of a lockdown so can relate bro. And the other one was Balloon and that's all about... Um, Basically having like a social situation which you don't want to be in. Either you're just not feeling it mentally or you're just not, you just don't want to go out. And we all have the sort of days where we just don't want to go outside. We want to chill in, um, chill in the house and just fucking do nothing. And the narrative that I pick up on the song is all about how she wants to just go home or just not go out. And both the people around her and her own brain just keep saying, like, if you just have a drink, you'll mellow out and you'll chill out and you'll enjoy yourself. And it just, it just never happens. And going through uni without ever drinking can relate to being in a certain social situation where you're just like, ah, I just would rather not be here. If I'm being honest, lads, just really would rather be home or fucking anywhere. But you know how it is. So yeah, I feel like it's very relatable um, lyrically. I still love the chorus to games. When I listened to it on the EP, because it was on the Barbados EP, I I feel like I might have misunderstood it. To me, it was a case of she was in a kind of boring relationship where she was always in the always just always in a room with the partner, um, just again just chilling out. That consistent of having to do nothing in the house together, and it was a case of um, taking me all to the pretty sights of Liverpool because I'd rather just do something, even if it means going to Liverpool. And I always thought that was like a bit of a um, a sassy jibe against Liverpool, which if being a football fan for 25 years and an Arsenal sports for 25 years has taught me anything, is that you always laugh at Liverpool. How's that Premier League table doing for you boys? And going into lyrics of the album, the lyrics are, so show me all the pretty sights of Liverpool as I'd rather be killed than play another game with you. Which to me sounds more like she would rather go to like the pretty sights of Liverpool, i.e. the places where you get shanked because this person that she's with is so incredibly dull or just a bit of a dick. So I am always here. If I've got that right, I'm always here for this level of like dark cynicism, um, particularly in relationships. I like to watch them crumble because I'm a bad person. So 
Yeah, I might be I might be completely wrong on all that, but that's just like lyrics are open for interpretation, and that's what I got from. As much as I like this album, it is not a perfect album. I think that Night Rider, which features uh, vocalists vocals, sorry, from Bradley Walden, um, who, if memory serves, is the vocalist for Emma Rosa. It is a such a sickly sweet pop song, much in the same way as that Feel Your Strong song earlier. And I just can't hack it all. As much as I love this album, I can't hack it at all. It reminds me of um, Red era Taylor Swift when she was going from that um, country pop phase into that like, very contemporary pop artist. Um, still having that, that little tinges of guitars in there, but it was very much a pop source, an album. This is what this does. You've got a little bit like the organic music, um, organic instruments in there. So you've got your guitars a little bit. You've got your drums, but there's so much like simply pop in there. But I just, I can't deal. Basically, I just did not like it as a song. Um, it feels, it kind of feels a little bit out of place because the overall like vibe of the song is quite dark because it is like a very dark hue on an indie pop rock kind of thing. And um, with this being like a very shimmery pop sort of song, I felt like it's a little bit out of place. And yeah, the, the only other problem I've got with it, and this is a weird one. I've been trying to like explain it in my head a few times and I might not make sense, but I'll give it a go. I am all for musicians using um, songs from previously e or like EPs released in a run up to the album. But this 10 tracks album uses three out of five songs from the EP um, Barbados. So on the whole, you're looking at seven new tracks. Combined with the fact that there was three singles released. I think it was three. I, Spotify doesn't give like um, release dates, I don't think. No, it just says 2020. So two or three songs released in the run up to this album. That means of the 10 tracks on the album, Around half of them have already been heard before. And it's not like Barbados was used as the lead single. Because when you look at the artwork for Barbados. And then the three singles. And then the album. The three singles follow the same art style as Bruce. So to me. Although Boys Don't Cry was released first. Addict I think was the one that came with the music video. So I think I to me personally. Addict is the lead single for Bruce. So you're looking at, even if you took away Barbados, you've got three songs, you've got Boys Don't Cry, Addict, and then Not For Six, released first. Having those three songs in the album, in a 10-track album, okay, but it's, it's all in keeping with the album. It's all the mood of the album, it's all the theme of the album. I get that. But when you're using songs that you've already heard before, if Not For Six was worse than the release first, you're looking at six songs that have already been heard by General Populist, and there's only four new songs. I don't know if I'm making mountains out of molehills or even if I'm not even getting my point across very well, but I just think if it was a 12, 13 track album, you might be able to get away with maybe like two songs from the EP, maybe keep uh, Games of Barbados. I think they fit the overall theme of the album much more than, mm, yeah, I'd say it, they fit more than Balloon. But with the album being as short as it is, it's just over half an hour. Um, yeah, I just feel like it should have been more original material, including Addict, Not For Six, and Boys Don't Cry. I don't. If you're going to release three singles from a 10-track EP, maybe only use one, if any. Um, I get I get including Barbados, because it was the lead single, and it has like an EP dedicated around it. Um, yeah, it might, that might just be me being selfish, and I wanted to have more original music from Lizzie. And I do like... I do like um, having singles released before an album because when you go through the album, it is familiar territory to when you go through it all. However, when you're like familiar with most of the album before it's come out, you're only getting a few new songs. And I hope I'm getting that point across and I hope it makes sense. And yeah, I've got no way of knowing if it was a label decision, if it was Liz's decision, if it was just other people... I've just thought it was a good idea. I might just be in the minority and, you know, fair fucks to that. But for me personally, I would just rather have had more new material. Again, I might just be being incredibly selfish because I really like Lizzie Farrell as an artist, but, you know, 
it's just my take. I feel like, yeah, not just keep going over over the same point. They shouldn't have had so many songs um, already known by general public before the album came out. It's just me. Um, but outside of that really weird, convoluted, niggling point, I really, really like this album. Um, in terms of like separating albums from like like end of year lists, rock music, and then like stuff outside the alternative world, I still think it sits outside the um, alternative world, and I think it might be one of like the best non-rock and metal albums that I've heard, at least at least this year, so far this year. Really, really enjoy Lizzie as an artist, and um, yeah, just look forward to what comes next. The album is called Bruise, you know, like the thing where you get where you keep knocking your fucking computer table. Um, it's by Lizzie Farrell. Please go listen to it. She's such an incredible singer, and yeah, that's. I don't know why I was going to say and. I didn't have an, an an end point, but it. Well, my end point is that's everything. For this week, I hope you've all enjoyed it. I have somehow worked up a sweat. I think it's because I'm sat next to a window and the sun is just bearing down on the one corner of this window that I have that isn't covered by a curtain. So I'm sweating my titties off. Um, if you've liked anything I've said today, if you hate anything I said today, if you want to tell me that my last point about bruise is so fucking dumb it hurts, tell me let me know. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at DesolationPod. Everything goes on the YouTube now, YouTube now as well, so you can see my face. Hello. And if you're already on YouTube, watch my face. I'm so sorry. Um, I don't have my own personal URL yet, so click my link tree or any corresponding link attached to uh, the podcast, and you can come see my face, have me on the background. I exist. Um, but just overall, let me know what you think of any reviews you've had. you've had reviews for. You've listened to my opinions on... I should probably stick to one of those and go forward. Never mind. Uh, for your strong, Moria, Iris, and Lizzie Farrell. Next week, I'm hoping to get that Vassa um, album listened to to a point where I can review it. I'm also going to try and review Pears, a hardcore punk act. Oh, the sun's really coming through now, isn't it? Uh, I've already listened to that Pears album once so far. It's very, very good. So I hope it, I keep that opinion. Uh, 13 Crows, which is like a rock and roll, punk rock kind of outfit. Uh, Borderlines on Folk. And Nero de Marta, sure, uh, an avant-garde, ow, extreme heavy metal band, and hopefully some other things. If I remember right, I've got a busy week of listening, so that's going to be fun for me. There's my squeaky chair. I'll be here hopefully at some point next week. I hope you're out there. I hope you join me. It's getting to a Bob Ross episode, but either way, enjoy lockdown best you can. Wash your hands. Help the NHS. Don't vote for Boris. And I'll see you next time. Ta-ta.